I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 19 to 24 that Kaz read for us earlier. I'd like to start with a story. I may have told this story before to some of you. A woman one time was was praying to God and, and asked, Lord, I'd like to know what heaven and hell are like. And to her surprise, she was promptly whisked off by an angel and found herself soon standing before two doors. The angel opened one of the doors and the, and the woman looked in and in the middle of the room was a large round table. And in the middle of the table was a large pot of stew that smelled delicious and it made her mouth water. But the people sitting around the table were thin and, and sickly. They appeared to be famished. They were holding spoons with really long handles that were strapped to their wrists so they couldn't choke up on the handles. And each person could reach into the pot and get some stew, but couldn't get it back to their mouths because the handles were longer than their arms. The woman shuddered at the sight of their misery and their suffering, and the angel said, you have seen hell. Well, then they went to the next room and they opened the door, and it was exactly the same as the first. There was the same large round table, the same large pot of delicious savory stew in the middle of the table. The people at the table were equipped with the same long-handled spoons with the same wrist straps so they couldn't choke up. But these people were nourished and happy. They were laughing and they were talking. The woman said, I don't understand. It's simple, the angel said. Think about it. It requires only one character trait. They have learned to feed each other rather than thinking only about themselves. When it comes to mammon, which Jesus uh, mentions in the last verse of today's passage, it's called possessions or money in newer translations, and, and how we're to view them and how we're to treat them, I think that this story is a pretty good summary of the difference between heaven and hell. What we need to remember, however, is that for Jesus, heaven is not some far-off room or some cloudy, wispy existence somewhere, but rather it's the future that God has in store for creation when God restores all things and makes all things new. And when the chasm between heaven and earth is removed and God comes to dwell in the midst of God's creation. And that new reality Jesus came to announce has actually begun. The future has begun to break in to the present. Heaven has begun to invade, to meet up with, to join with, to impact earth. How did Jesus put it so often? The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's why wherever Jesus went, he healed the sick, he set captives free, he announced good news to the poor, he forgave and welcomed home sinners. He brought God's presence near. Jesus came to announce and to bring into being this great salvation, this great beginning and coming of a new age, the age of heaven. In fact, Jesus himself is the one in whom heaven and earth meet up. Of course, the kingdom did not come fully. And it still has not come fully. But it has begun to come. And those who follow Jesus get to experience it more and more coming. 
That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That great sermon we've been working our way through, which Jesus gave on the heels of proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come near. This sermon paints a picture of what it looks like to be a community who live in this new kingdom, in this new reality. To be a people described in the Beatitudes, blessed, fortunate, living the good life. But because we're living for the new age, which is coming, the age of heaven, and not in the current age, which is passing away, the way we live is counterintuitive. It's upside down. It's countercultural. We've been seeing that as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And today Jesus explains what all this means for how we view or treat money and possessions. When the kingdom fully comes, when heaven is finally and fully open to earth, and this world is remade, like those around the table enjoying a savory feast, we will not worry about getting enough for ourselves, but we will freely share God's abundance with one another. Everyone will take care of everyone else, sharing what we have in joy and generosity. And so Jesus says, we should have that generous attitude toward what we possess now. But here's the problem, as I see it, not as Jesus sees it. (laughs) We don't fully live in heaven yet, not by a long shot. The, The new age may have begun to come, but there's plenty of the old age still left hanging around. There's scarcity and there's selfishness around us. And what if I'm generous and the next guy isn't? What if I share my spoonful of stew with him, but he doesn't share his back with me, right? So I'm going to hold on to mine, can be our temptation. And that's the attitude and the fear and the temptation Jesus addresses in today's passage. You know the attitude, right? Like I do. The temptation to worry about ourselves, to to gather in enough for ourselves, and, and then a little more, a little extra, just to be safe as a hedge against future shortage. So I'll worry about what I have, and, and you worry about what you need. And, and sure, there, there are plenty out there who don't have enough, and hopefully someone who has more than us will, will worry about them, maybe the government, or, or, or maybe the poor need to do a better job of worrying about themselves. That's, that's the attitude. Well, let's look at what Jesus has to say about this in today's passage. It's very clear and direct. As he teaches us how to begin to live the life of heaven now, the life of the kingdom of heaven now when it comes to what we possess and own. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Again, when Jesus says heaven, store up in heaven, don't imagine a far, high up, cloudy place with harps and wings. Picture, rather, your Father in heaven. Store up treasures with your Father in heaven. He's the one who's coming to dwell among us when heaven fully arrives. Remember what Jesus has just said earlier in chapter 6 about how we should seek reward, if you remember back a few weeks, when we pray when we fast, when we give to the poor. He said, we shouldn't do these things to be seen and noticed and praised by people because if we do, we've received our reward here on earth. 
but we should rather do our religious acts in secret so that our reward is with God, with our Father in heaven. To store up treasures in heaven is first of all to store up a reward that is with our Father in heaven. Early in in chapter 6, we saw that, that we do this as we pray in secret, as we fast in secret, as we give to the poor in secret, offering gifts of love and honor for the notice and for the audience of our Father in heaven who sees and who will reward us. And now Jesus is extending that and focusing it, especially the part that has to do with our money and our possessions. Jesus says, use what you have in such a way as to store up a reward with your heavenly Father. Store up your treasures in heaven with God because this heaven, this Father, is coming to earth and will one day be fully here. Earth as we currently know it will will pass away, will be transformed, and will be replaced fully by the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus gives us three images, three vivid pictures which express reasons that we should store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. So let's take a look at each of the three. The first image or analogy that that Jesus gives is, is a picture of a wealthy person who has gold coins or expensive clothes. Now what we have to realize is that most people in Jesus' day didn't have any treasures to store up. They lived hand-to-mouth, paycheck to paycheck. This is still true in much of the world today. In fact, if you go to the developing world today, do you know how you can tell if someone is truly poor? This was told to me by someone who has worked for years with the poor in Latin America. He said, if you own furniture, you are not truly poor. Poor people have no furniture. They sit, they eat on the floor or on a bucket or a crate if they've been able to rescue one from a job site or a garbage dump. And that's how it was for most people in Jesus' day. They had no treasure to store up. If they did have a chance to own anything, they'd prefer to own an animal or some land because because those were investments which could provide a return, could provide some food, could grow some crops. But... But this is a rich man's problem uh, to, to own gold or silver or extra sets of clothing. It was a very rare problem in Jesus' day to have gold and fine clothes and, and need to find a place to store it up. You could store it in the inner room of your house. That was generally the only room in the house that could be locked. The problem was, since houses were often made of, of mud and clay perhaps plastered over, thieves could dig through the wall and steal what was in the inner room. So another thing you could do was you could, you could hide your, your uh, treasures in, in a cave or, or dig a hole in the ground and bury them. But, but there it could corrode and the moths could destroy what you hid. So this was a worry for, for the rich people. This was a concern, how to protect their precious treasures. Their expensive garments, their their gold coins. And what does Jesus say? He says, why store up your treasure in a place that's so uncertain? Why not rather store it in a place that's sure, that's guaranteed to be safe? 
Now listen carefully. Jesus is not spiritualizing things here. He's not making a cute, pious analogy. He's being completely practical and pragmatic. He is giving Wall Street level investment advice. Because Jesus knows there really is a heaven. And there really is a father there. And that heaven really is coming to invade earth. It's already begun and it will be complete one day. And it will displace and transform earth as we currently know it. So anything you store up with the father really is safe. And really will be there for you to enjoy in the future. Literally, concretely, actually. I remember several years ago when we needed to buy our first minivan. We had our fourth child and we couldn't fit in our sedan anymore. And um, I found a good deal on one that would, would serve us well. The guy who owned it lived in Newburgh. And he worked in the Bronx. And that's where he wanted to meet me to see the van. So I went down. I checked it out. Um, I did my homework. And, and I decided that I wanted to buy it. And he wanted cash because of all the corruption that's going on with cashier's checks and things these days. And it was several thousand dollars. So you can imagine the anxiety that I felt walking a few blocks from where I parked to where he worked in the Bronx. And it didn't seem to be that good of a neighborhood to me with like five grand in my pocket, cash. And what a relief I felt after I'd handed it over and signed the papers and that cash was no longer vulnerable. It was safe. Jesus is saying, that's how you should think about your possessions. They're very unsafe here on earth. They can be lost in many different ways. And so no wonder you worry. And no wonder you feel anxiety about what you own. But you don't have to. Your treasures would be safe in heaven with your father there. Store them up there. And then you can relax. No matter what the stock market does or, or who might break into your house when you go on vacation, Jesus is offering us peace and security that's real. And so Jesus ends this, this final analogy with this amazing line, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your treasure stored up on earth? Well, your heart will be concerned with the things of earth and subject to all the anxieties and uncertainties that, that goes along with it. You can expect to worry. It comes with the territory, literally. <laughs> On the other hand, is your treasure in heaven? Then your heart will be drawn toward your Father and will anticipate His coming kingdom and will cheer its arrival. But more, you'll also know peace and security of your treasure being secure. You'll be able to rest because your treasure is totally safe. So that's the first analogy Jesus gives us. Then second, the second analogy about money and possessions. He says, think of your eyes as like lamps. And think of your body as like a room. Now this was an analogy that was very familiar to Jesus' original audience. It's not as familiar to us, so we're going to have to tease it out here. If your eyes are, are blazing full of light, like lamps then your body will also be filled with light. 
you'll, um, you'll experience joy, insight, clarity. But if your eyes are dim, if they're like lamps that have burned down low, think of an old flame lamp, you'll be dim inside. You'll be dark and gloomy and confused and groping. The way will be unclear to you. Don't you want to be full of light on the inside <laughs> instead of darkness? Then Jesus says, you need good eyes. You need bright, clear eyes. Now, Jesus is using eyes symbolically here. Because what do our eyes represent? Well, they represent our perspective. They represent what we're drawn to focus our attention on. And in the culture of the time, what we desire, you know, her eyes were bigger than her stomach. She desires that big piece of cake. What we desire, what our perspective is, what we're drawn to focus our attention on. And there was a well-known expression in Jesus' day that someone had evil eyes or, or bad eyes. And it meant that they were stingy, that they were miserly, that they were greedy. Their desire, their perspective was narrow and selfish. Can't you just picture a greedy person like Scrooge with slanty, narrow eyes? That's what this expression was describing. And Jesus says, if your desires, if your perspectives, if your focus is like that, guess what? Your whole body, your whole self will be full of darkness. On the other hand, if your eyes are bright, wide open, and the word Jesus uses here literally means whole or single, and Bible scholars aren't sure how to translate it, maybe generous, maybe undivided, wholehearted toward God. In context, it suggests eyes which have Jesus' perspective on possessions. They see things the way Jesus is teaching us to see them. And um, that, that we're offering up fully for God's purposes and priorities what we have. We're not holding on to them for our own selfish reasons. If we are like this, Jesus says, our whole body will be full of light. If our perspective, what we desire, is undivided and whole and healthy and generous... So how do you want to be, Jesus asks. Again, Jesus is offering practical, pragmatic advice. Do, do you want to be dark inside or, or light? Well, how are your eyes? What's your perspective? How do you look at things? What is it that you're desiring? When you look at your possessions and you want to hold on to them for yourself and your comfort and your security... Is, is that the way you are? Or, or do you look at what you possess with God's eyes, with God's perspective, with a loving, generous attitude toward those who have less than you do? Are you the person at hell's table only thinking about how to get that spoon into your own mouth? Or are you busy feeding others? That, Jesus says, is the way to have joy and purpose and clarity and light within you. You know, I can tell you firsthand that sometimes I've lived this out better than other times. There, there are times when I've gotten influenced by those around me, by my own self-centeredness, and, and I've gotten caught up in the way of the world around me when it comes to the way we focus on money and possessions. And, and I've gotten worried about what I wanted or what I thought I needed. And there are other times when I've really trusted God and was growing in generosity. And guess which season of life brought me more peace and more joy and more light inside? Jesus is dead right here. 
The way we look at our possessions will determine how much light or darkness we experience inside. So that's the second analogy. Eyes, lamps. And then Jesus gives us a third analogy. This time it's that of being a slave. Now this is hard for us to imagine because slavery is so uncommon today. But Jesus' audience would know all about it. When you're a slave, you don't get up in the morning and say, I wonder what I'll do today. (laughs) No, you get up and you're given your marching orders by someone else, whether you like it or not. You're told what to do, when you'll eat, who you'll spend time with. Your master places huge demands on you. And Jesus says, let me tell you two masters that are like that. They're demanding and all-consuming. When you're under their mastery, you can't decide for yourself what shots to call. What are those two masters? Well, one is God. God demands everything. And guess what? Two is money. Money also demands everything. So do possessions. You know, so many people over the years have moved to Westchester County for a career advancement, for a bigger salary. And they get here and and they begin to realize how much work, how much they've got to work. (laughs) The long hours, the difficult, stressful commutes, the the stress, the, the expectation that they're on call even when they get home, that they should be checking email at 11 at night. Who's got time for friends? Who's got time for fun or for relaxation? And some people, they, they settle in. They, they make the best of it. Others say, you know, I don't like this. I'm moving somewhere sane like the South. Well, it's not just Westchester County, right? But life here is, is an illustration of, of how demanding of a master money and possessions can be. If you need to maintain what you have and get more. And Jesus is saying, if, if this is your experience, then, then you can't serve God too. Because guess what? God also demands a lot. God isn't satisfied with your leftovers after your, 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 your long week at your crazy job. To, to give God our second best would be profoundly disrespectful and inappropriate given who God is. Given that God's just not a little personal pocket genie. If you're just giving God a nod on Sunday mornings, then, then you have so little awareness of what God is really like. And you're not really serving him. In fact, you can't serve God in money. Notice what Jesus says, not don't. He doesn't say don't serve God and money. He says, you can't. You can't serve God and money. You can't have it both ways. You've got to pick one or the other. You know, it's common to, to say today that the problem isn't with money. The problem, because money's not the root of all evil, right? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So it's okay to seek more money just as long as you don't love it too much. That's true, but here's the problem with it. It's not being honest about what a master money is. Money is sticky. It has a way of sticking to our hearts and demanding more and more from us. You know, for a while in our house, we banned silly putty. Because as fun as it was for the kids, it would always wind up on their clothes, in their hair, mashed into a car seat. 
and you can't get it out. It's sticky. It ruins stuff. So, so picture a small child playing with, with silly putty or bubble gum, and it's so fun. They can make a necklace, right? Put it around their neck or a crown and put it in their hair. And as a parent, you're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> I know it's fun, but it's sticky. It's going to stick to you, and then you'll be sorry, and I'll be sorry. Jesus is that parent. He's warning us about money, about possessions, saying, watch out. They're sticky. They will stick to your heart. And then you can't part with them and you wind up serving them like a master. And they're a demanding master. And so guess what? If you're serving them, you can't serve God too. Because God is God, the most exalted, amazing being in the universe. The one who created you, who knows you, who has saved you and wants to be a father to provide for you and to love you. And so it's not appropriate to give God just a passing nod. No, God is a master too, in a sense. God deserves and expects everything, your very best. And you can't give God everything, and you won't give God everything if money is your master. So question, if we do a possession inventory... And look at what we own in our garage, in our closets, in our investment portfolios. If we check over our bank records and and our credit card bills for the past, say, five to ten years, what will we see? Are you serving money or are you serving God? Which is your master? It can't be both, Jesus says. Here's another way that we could look at this. Are we fully sold out for God? Do we serve God wholeheartedly or or is there a part of ourselves which we hold back? If we're holding back and if we're wondering why, then then we might want to look at our budget. We might want to look at our bank account for the answer. Because Jesus says you can't really be serving both God and money. So Jesus is putting some pretty strong choices before us. On the one hand, We can have hearts which are at rest and secure and at peace. Because we, what we treasure is stored up safely with our Father in heaven, waiting for the day when heaven fully comes to earth. We can be full of light, knowing and and living with joy and clarity and light. And we can serve God fully and wholeheartedly. Or number two, on the other hand, we can experience anxiety and insecurity, having our treasure stored up in a place that's vulnerable and fading, which will one day come to an end altogether. We can experience inner darkness, gloom, groping, confusion, and we can experience what it's like to serve money and for our possessions to have mastery over us. The choice is ours. Jesus is putting it before us. And so in closing... If we did want to make the first choice to store up treasures in heaven, how would we do that? How would we do it? Well, we've already seen part of what Jesus said about it earlier in chapter 6, giving to the poor for no one to notice other than our Father in heaven, praying, fasting again for our Father in heaven. Jesus promises that if we do such things for God alone, we will have a reward with our Father in heaven. But there's another place Jesus 
answers this question about how to store up treasures in heaven. And it's over in Luke's retelling of what Jesus has to say about money. It's in Luke 12, 32 to 34. Listen. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, Jesus says. Again, giving to the poor, generously helping those in need is a big part of what Jesus has in mind when he encourages us to store up treasures in heaven. Now, maybe you think I've been too strong about this. Or, or maybe I've got my theology unbalanced on this. So just to back it up, who more orthodox and theologically respectable to quote than John Calvin? I mean, come on. So let me close with John Calvin. This is from his institutes. Listen. We ought then to imitate what people do who determine to migrate to another place where they have chosen a lasting home. They send ahead of them all their resources and do not grieve over lacking them for a time, for they consider themselves the happier, the more goods they have where they will be permanently. If we believe heaven is our country, it is better to send our possessions there than to keep them here, where upon our sudden migration they would be lost to us. But how shall we transmit them? Surely by providing for the needs of the poor, Whatever is paid out to them, the Lord reckons as given to himself. From this comes the notable promise, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Proverbs 19.17. Let's pray. God, these words that your son Jesus speaks to us are so countercultural. I was going to say unfamiliar, but they're not really unfamiliar. They're all over the Bible and all over Jesus' teaching. And yet they're so countercultural, they get drowned out by everything around us, even in the church. I pray that they would ring loud and clear in our hearts, and that we would trust you enough, Jesus, that you know what you're talking about, to respond to the amazing invitation you're giving us here the security and light, the freedom of having God the Father as a master instead of our possessions, and a heart which longs for your kingdom to come more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.